Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me fantasy artist Bruce Brenizi. Bruce, thank you for getting on today. I appreciate taking time out of your day. Go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm Bruce Brenizi. I am a freelance uh, concept artist and illustrator for a variety of games. I've um, maybe most notably, I've worked on a game called Slay the Spire. Uh, tabletop games like uh, Numenera, Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering, um, and a lot of other ones as well. Um, and I've been uh, in this career for maybe about six or seven years. Um, let's see, background-wise, uh, I've graduated from University of Michigan with a concentration in scientific illustration. I lived in China for a while and then eventually uh, turned back to, to the art career that I was looking to have. So let's talk about your college, scientific illustration. So what does that focus on? What is that? So that's like um, the sort, sort of art that you see in museums, zoos, uh, textbooks, any kind of place where they need uh, scientific realism to illustrate what something's talking talking about. Like maybe, you know, you go to a zoo, um, the little placard or whatever in front of the enclosure wants to tell you about the environment and habits of, you know, like a particular monkey or something, right? So someone has to do that illustration. Or if you go to like the uh, Museum of Natural History and they've got those like uh, sort of dioramas um, you know, showing uh, dinosaur life or um, African savanna mammals or, or things like that. Someone has to paint the mural in uh, in the back of that. Uh, or if you pick up your you know physics textbook um, and they want to demonstrate how uh, how things are working at a subatomic level or whatever, right? Like this is not something they can necessarily. Uh, take a very useful photo of, right? So they have to have someone uh, draw that and uh, diagram that out. So those are all examples. Uh, also, um, medical illustrations showing the inside of the human body would be another pretty common example. So I'm not an artist, and I would have never even thought that scientific illustration would have been a degree. How did you choose that? Like, what, what drew you to that? Well, it's, it's not a degree per se, like the degree is like Bachelor of Fine Arts, but um, at that particular school, they had a, a few different career track options that you could specialize in. Um, and, you know, so it's like graphic design, industrial design, and, you know, scientific illustration and so on. Um, I really wanted to be more like a, an illustrator uh, for publishing, for the entertainment industry, you know, many of the things that I've ended up going on to do. And looking at my options, uh, scientific illustration teaches you how to observe and um, show things very realistically. Uh, even if you don't necessarily want to go down that career track, I knew that it would develop the sorts of skills that I would need. You know, for example, designing a, a mythical creature it's very useful to be able to look at the existing creatures that have similar things, right? Like if you're designing a dragon, it might be useful to look at dinosaurs, at lizards and snakes, or, or even look at some, some bird anatomy and be able to translate that to that creature. Or in my case, you know, I'm, I'm more of a landscapes guy, understanding um, geology and uh, biology and, and um, you know, things of that nature and being able to translate that into the sorts of scenes that I do uh, is very useful. So I was like, okay, well, this is, <laughs> this will be more useful than like maybe some of the more abstract art type stuff that um, most art colleges are, are tending to push these days um, in order to get to, to where I wanted to be as an artist. No, and I look at your um, paintings on your, on your website and what I just saw Phoenix Fan Fusion and it has paid off. Like you can tell that um, there is a sort of realism to your, your art. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's almost like you could step into that painting and, and, and be there and everything would be um, 
as it would be in real life. Like it, you chose, chose well. Um, thank you. Is, is thank all I'm you. Saying. Like it, it, you did a good job. It's kind of fed into, cause there's, there's sort of a, I guess you could say a minor movement of sorts, um, these days called imaginative realism, because there is, there are a lot of fantasy artists and, you know, science, science fiction artists and such. And it's like, seems to be a, an increasingly popular field um so yeah bringing the realism into that is important right like there's there is an a, a more abstract aspect that has to be married carefully to the the realist uh aspect and then we feel like we are there even though there doesn't exist right and even though you said you're more of a landscape artist um some of your art does have you know humans in it or dragons that that right. i mean you can yeah. do it all i mean i know that there's some artists that um, struggle with painting um, or, or drawing a human and they're just really good at landscape artists, which, which is fine, but uh, you can do, do both from what I've seen. So. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I've, I've made a point of trying to study as broadly as I can uh, when it comes to like branding myself as a landscape artist, it's less about what I can and can't do. It's about what I'm happiest doing. Like if I'm going to get paid to do something, I think not only is it going to be a less frustrating experience uh, if I'm focused on on the stuff that I am most excited about doing, but the result is going to be uh, better as well. You know, like in, in some ways I even keep like figure, figure drawing, like I, I do like figure drawing um, as a kind of practice, but I like to do that in a setting that's entirely like just my own um my own fun i guess you could say like there's there's places where you can go and do live figure drawing and you just hang out with a bunch of artists uh for you know like a few hours and practice your skills and i can do it um traditionally with with you know a pencil or colored pencil or chalk or whatever um and it's just completely separated from what i do professionally so my brain can kind of relax and, and engage with art in a different way when I'm doing that stuff. Kind of a palate cleanser. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you spent six years in China. Was that more training or was that just for fun? What was that about? Uh, that was about um, leaving college. I didn't see a very clear path forward to the kind of uh, entertainment industry jobs that I wanted um, while my skills were like, quite good in some areas. I would say that they weren't up to industry standard in others. And, um, you know, in terms of understanding the business, understanding who I should or could network with, like there were just a lot of missing pieces as far as what my college actually was able to provide me uh, for that. Um, so I, I just didn't see the path forward. And I'm like, well, I, I've always loved travel. I've always wanted to live abroad. You know, I think there was a time where I said, oh, I'd love to live like at least half a year on every continent if possible. Um, so I'm, I, I, was, I decided I was just going to scratch that itch and, and go do that thing. Um, I'd had some, some Chinese friends in college, so I'd picked up like a, a little bit of Mandarin, um, enough to, to feel like at least minimally confident to go there. And, you know, there's just a, there was a huge demand at the time for English teachers. Um, they wanted college trained people from native English speaking countries to go and teach English there. So it was fairly easy to, to get a job. And then once I was over there, it's easy to travel around and see all kinds of cool things and, uh, you know, go sketching and photographing and get lots of inspiration for the work that I've done later. So it, it did end up feeding into things, but, you know, sort of indirectly. Mm -hmm. No, uh, I've seen pictures of many places in China. I wish um, I could go one day. I don't know if that's in the books or not. But some of the landscapes are phenomenal and the temples that are there. And, oh, and yeah, absolutely. So. And, you know, I want to encourage anyone who goes to China, like uh, a lot of tourists tend to just hit up um, like 
three or four of the biggest cities. And those are cool too. Like, I mean, Beijing's got lots of history and Shanghai looks, you know, very futuristic and everything, but get out into the countryside, go to some uh, national parks. They've got some great national parks that are just as amazing as, as the best ones we have in, uh, here in the US as well. So, you know, I, I highly, highly recommend uh, getting out there and doing that. And unfortunately, they're a bit closed down at the moment, but we're really hoping uh, you know, in a few years, maybe they'll open back up and, and it'll be possible to, to go there as a tourist again. No, that'd be fun. I'd love to go back there and see the history and different things. So when you came back, uh, when did you decide that, okay, I, I think I know enough to kind of leap into the, the illustration world and try to make a living at it? So when I came back, um, I was doing some, some, I guess you could say like some uh, fan art of a type. I, I joined a group of people who were doing a, a fan game. Um, uh, these were fans of some of the Sierra Online classic uh, adventure games like King's Quest and stuff. So this was like a fan sequel to the last King's Quest games. Um, so I was kind of practicing in a, a semi-professional setting where we we're kind of like trying to recreate a professional studio to some degree. Um, I was teaching English as a second language since I had, you know, developed that skill set. That was my easiest go-to, you know, landing back in the country. Um, and then I just was also practicing my art skills for probably a, a, like two or three more years almost uh, before I actually jumped in. And in the end, it was it was like the the downsizing of the school that I was working with that just really gave me the push. Um, and they they pushed me out the door and I was like, well, OK, I've got unemployment uh, money here to to go take some online classes, to have a bit of runway to just like every week. OK, who who can I contact um, to to maybe get a job? So over the course of, of like maybe about a, a year after that was that when things started to actually start to connect I, uh, and really the, the big um, the big benefit, uh, the thing that, that kind of clicked into place was actually with the networking. Because I think at that point, my skills actually were uh, professional grade already. But regardless of your skills, if people don't know you exist, they can't hire you. So getting the right sorts of connections, you know, other artists as well as uh, art directors and, and hiring people uh, just made a made a big difference. And once people meet you in person and, and see what kind of person you are, um, that can really make all the difference. Nice. Uh, I would agree with that um, from people that I've talked to. Networking has been huge. I, I don't know how the art community is yet because um, you're you're my third person that I've interviewed that. Um, mm -hmm. is an artist but i know in the author community it's 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 smaller than people think and people right. you know talk to each other you know i have this book um i i need an editor and people can recommend it I, i'm sure it's the same way with artists like hey i have this job that i need this particular art for it and you're like oh i know somebody who might be perfect mm -hmm. for that even if it's not yourself you can be like oh you know you can recommend somebody yeah, exa exactly. I mean, I was going to just repeat exactly what you said there. It's smaller than you think, at least as far as the people who are actually getting work, um, you know, and, and people do try to help each other. It's, it's often the case, for example, that, you know, I might have a job come my way that's just completely out of my interest zone. You know, someone wants me to do you know, character concepting or something, I'm going to send that to someone who is going to do it justice and who's going to enjoy it and who's probably going to do a better job and a quicker job at it than I could. And likewise, people who are more about the characters uh, send landscape and environment jobs my way. So, it, you know, it kind of works like that. You get to know other artists and that's often where when you're breaking into the industry, it's the other artists um, who often uh, send the first jobs your way. And then once you've got a few jobs under your belt, more employers, more companies will start taking a chance on you at that point. Right. And getting a commission, how hard was that? Um, and how nervous were you when you got your first one? Like, am I going to mess it up or is it, am I going to hit it out of the park? I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to, let's see, thinking back, 
I, I don't know that I was all that nervous about it. Um, my first couple commissions were uh, via people that I, I knew or had met. Uh, one of them was a, um, a, a poster for the Seattle Turkish Film Festival. Um, one of my students who was Turkish and knew that I had lived there for a little bit and enjoyed the culture and everything recommended me for that job. And since it was a good fit for something that I already knew about, I had a bunch of good ideas pretty, pretty, you know, quickly. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't too, too worrisome. Um, the next big break that I got, maybe a little bit more so in the sense that I met an artist at an indie game dev get together. And the very next day she'd recommended me for a job that she didn't have the time to, to take on. So that was kind of like, whoa, this is, <laughs> uh, you know, going very rapidly. And, and uh, it was also more of a character centric piece. So it was a little bit further out of my comfort zone. So that that one was a little bit more of a, of a, a leap as far as that, that sort of thing goes. Um, and I think more after that, I, I started to just steer my, my um, clientele and, and the types of jobs I was taking more and more towards landscapes. Um, and, you know, it's, it's been much easier since I, I did that. This is my ignorance. So you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, with character artists uh, or with character art, um, I picture a company coming to somebody and being like, I want this and this and this in, in the art um, that they're looking for. And, and maybe landscaping, it's maybe a little bit more vague and you have more creativity or is it, and, and maybe it's kind of a mixture of both depending on who's um, buying it. Depend, yeah, it depends on the gig uh, quite a bit because some it's it's more about dip, certain com companies have like a very specific idea of what they want and certain companies are looking for someone uh, who can just give them something they haven't seen, uh, which has tended to, to be a lot of my work more recently, where you're kind of straddling the line between being an illustrator and being a concept art, because you're also developing the concept itself for them. Um, in this particular case, it was like uh, a rabbit character, you know, that they had kind of like a rabbit-based race in their game. Um, so they had, you know, a fairly clear idea of what these things needed to look like um and so the main concerns are, are more about like getting the anatomy right and, and stuff like that but with characters um we tend to be more picky about what we see in a character because um humans are geared towards um the mannerisms the uh, the details of faces, of hands, of like the area, the, the part, the anatomy overall, like all of these things have to be just right or you fall into the uncanny valley. Uh, whereas landscapes, you have a lot more latitude to, okay, let's push this thing over here. Let's pull this thing this way. Uh, let's um, be a little bit loosey-goosey with the, the, um, the actual geology of the place. Like, it's easier to get away with things and be a little bit more surrealistic um, or alien even without tripping into full-on uncanny valley this feels wrong kind of sensation from your audience right so yeah it, it is definitely like a, a different ball game as far as that goes no um if i was to hire somebody um for a commission for a character driven um art piece you know i would know all right this person looks like this and i want this and this and this but if i was doing like a landscape i'd be like okay i want a mountain fantasize it go <laughs> right <laughs> you know right I mean? exactly you know yeah it's, it's often landscape a lot of landscapes it tends to be rule of cool like just give us an epic landscape that's gonna make us feel exhilarated it's yeah it's more about the feeling and the mood yeah if as long as you can hit that feeling in the mood and like the basic archetype of the of the um of the place then you've got a lot more latitude going to that feeling um you you created a you know a landscape for Magic the Gathering uh, mm -hmm. recently, and 
each one, um, you know, the, the color wheel, each color has a different feeling to it. Right. And you're, the card that you did does have that feeling. Like you did a fantastic job on that. Um, uh, which, which one are you referring to? Cause at this point I've probably got what, like, uh, eight landscape cards, uh, for magic. So I don't, I don't, you know, that, that are revealed. Uh, yeah. There's more that are not revealed actually, but they're, those are the ones that are revealed. There are eight that are revealed so far. So I'm, I'm not even sure which one, uh, in particular you might be referring to. <laughs> Let me look it up real quick and I'll, be able to tell you hang on just one second but in the meantime um how did that relationship start uh with magic yeah with wizards of the coast because you've done um magic the gathering you've done some dungeons and dragons you know right wizards of the coast is a, is a huge company um how sure. did you get it to you know first to pay attention to you and uh sure well um i mean i knew that that was a major client that i would be interested in going after you know for years now mm -hmm. um so i have made a point to get to know the art directors when they happen to you know happen to i guess our our, our orbits uh, uh happen to cross like for example i i went to a workshop and, and a couple or a number of events that uh cynthia shepherd who was one of the major um art directors there uh, was attending um i think just in terms of being like really active in the fantasy and sci-fi illustration community, my path has crossed with a lot of magic artists and with various people who who work at Wizards in various capacities. Uh, the fact that I'm in the Seattle general area means that I have more opportunities to cross paths with some of these people. So, and and I did you know drop you know send some of my art to their art drop when that was fully functional. I'm not sure that it's so functional these days, but you know uh, I sent it in, and then like three years later I heard from them. So uh, and I aside from that I didn't pursue that much. It was more about like okay this person works there, let me go say hi and and show them my art. Um, or in some cases befriend them a bit but like uh, i'm honestly not sure which one of those things led to the job because the person who ended up hiring me uh don murin uh was someone that i had never met before oh really so my guess is you know from various things that i had done at that point like they have maybe like a database of potential artists to work with and um you know some some signifiers like okay this person does you know these types of characters or this type of landscapes or whatever and i suspect i was in their database somewhere under like sci-fi landscapes or alien landscapes um, and so when they decided to do the Unfinity set, which needed some alien landscapes specifically, uh, that's when they contacted me. Mm. And they just said, they just, email came out of the blue, hey, how would you like to do some work for Magic the Gathering? Um, we've got these alien landscapes, you know. Um, and of course I said yes to that. <laughs> And then the D&D &D side was similar. Like I hadn't actually interacted with uh, Kate Irwin, the, the art director from the D&D &D side who contacted me. I'd done some magic work uh, by that point for like about a year. Um, and I was Facebook friends with her. I just hadn't interacted with her a lot. You know, I, I do try and friend or, or follow a fair number of art directors just on the off chance, right? Um, and so she had been seeing some of my art and I shared a piece called Astral Reef um, that was in a similar kind of zone as the Spelljammer stuff that they wanted to do. And almost immediately after I shared that, I got an email. <laughs> so yeah, it's just a lot of it is just putting your stuff out there and trying to have your orbit connect with the orbit of these other people and you don't always know what it's going to lead to but if you do enough of that uh stuff starts to work out right so the art piece that i'm talking about is an island that you did for commander legends battle uh for Baldur's gate ah yes okay so this, it's a this castle is a with um boats around it it's you know it's an island yeah so yeah blue. yeah 
that's the Baldur's Gate Harbor, and in the middle of the harbor, they have this, uh, like, a prison keep called uh, Baldrin's Tower, or Sea Tower. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that, that was the one that I, I did for for that. And, of course, yeah, for Magic, you have to keep the dynamics of their color system in mind. And so it's like, okay, you know, what are some ways that I can make this feel very, like, blue energy-esque? It's like, well... A nocturne would be a perfect way to do that. You can have a very blue-green um, kind of a, a, a palette um, for the piece. And I just happen to love nocturnes anyway and have done a number of them over the years. So um, that's what I propose to them <laughs> for that piece. No, it looks fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, that's and probably you- one of the ones I'm, I'm most proud of uh for magic so far so and you, you said put your orbit out there speaking of orbit you did uh, something yeah. for orbit books um yep the from the i guess the was it the witcher series but was it the first book that they did and you did yeah yeah so they're they're doing the last wish uh, is that what it is yeah illustrated edition of the last wish and they wanted since it's sort of a book of short stories really right they wanted seven artists to each pick a different short story um, and uh, illustrate it for them so they could kind of do this special edition. Um, and I mean, I've been I've been getting to know uh, the art director over at Orbit, uh, Lauren Panapinto, for years and years, actually. She was one of the, the first people that I uh, met and connected with when I started to get back into my career. And it just takes a long while for the right project to come along and, and so on. And it finally worked out for this one. So yeah, that was that was really fun and uh, a huge honor to get to do something for The Witcher. Oh yeah, like that would, and once again, it's amazing. It's, um, you know, it's dark, Thank but you. it has, you know, red sky. It's really profound um, with The Witcher. It actually has, a you know, some characters in it. So it's not just a landscape. Right, right. Well, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why it took a while to uh, get the right piece with Lauren is she was also looking to see me do some pieces that had a little bit more characters, where it's like 90% landscape, but has, you know, a character doing something and, you know, rendered to the correct, you know, to the right degree and, and so on. Because, you know, someone like that, they, you know, she's not the sole person who decides what artists they hire. Uh, she's got other stakeholders at the publisher that she has to justify those choices to. Um, so when you want to work with someone like that, you have to have enough pieces in your portfolio that solve the problem that they are proposing um, to show that uh, a certain degree of consistency in your work, right? So I had, obviously the, the landscapes are already knocked out of the park for a while but having some character work with the landscapes a few pieces even like just you know four or five of them maybe is enough for her to go to her you know other people she's working with and be like hey this is the guy we need uh because i really want to get at least one landscape focused piece into this book right and Mm -hmm. it's and this guy's got the right balance to to do it you know to do the right job and and um it seems to have worked out really well. <laughs> yeah, it's a fantastic piece. And speaking on that, is that something that they were like, um, we want this sort of landscape with uh, Geralt Rubio on top, you know, right in the center and stuff? Or was that like, here's the story that you're going to be doing a picture of or a painting of? Um, read through it and pick a scene that you want to do. The latter. It was, it was more open-ended um, because they were, you know, she... Um, she she knows a lot about how artists work and she knows that you often get the best work from artists when you do give them some degree of freedom within the structure the overall structure of the problem that they're they're there to solve um so yeah she actually for all of those artists she was like okay here's you know here's the story or i think by the time i got onto the project um they'd or like most of the stories and most of the artists had had sort of picked the stories they wanted. I had, I think there were like maybe two or three choices left. Um, And actually, luckily, of the three choices available, um, one of the the 
stories in that book that most lent itself to doing a landscape piece uh, was there. So I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm calling dibs on, on uh, the lesser evil. Because, uh, I mean, of course, this is um, uh, the source of Geralt's um, epithet, the, the, uh, the butcher of Blaviken, right? So we have to see what Blaviken looks like. And um, Blaviken can represent with the red over the, the towers and everything. Uh, above him in the in, in the composition, uh, it can represent the weight of his guilt in the hard choice that he has to to make, and the the weight of blood that he spills there. Um, so there's there's a great symbolic opportunity with that landscape. You know that landscape is important to the the very plot of the story and a way to show his inner mental landscape as well um, as a parallel so with that you know you get the 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 story and you're like i want this one um did you know exactly how you wanted to to represent that or did you sketch out a, a bunch of different things that you could have done so yeah so that can vary a lot in this case um just I think due to the way the process had dragged on when they, you know, they, I'm sure, you know, when you're in, in the publisher, it's like, okay, we came up with this idea, we want to do an illustrated edition. And now we have to get so many different people to sign off on it, including, you know, Andre Sapkowski, uh, you know, he has to say yes. And so I think the process had dragged on and they were at the point where, okay, we don't have a, a lot of time. We can give you guys like a month or less to work on this thing. So let's expedite it. Um, and so the art director basically told us, you know, shoot your best shot, like uh, send me a sketch, whatever your favorite sketch idea happens to be, just send it there. We'll try and get that approved and move quickly through the process. I like basically a gesture of trust because she picked a bunch of artists whose taste and instincts she trusts. Um, so, I almost immediately knew exactly which, what the scene should look like. You know, I just played around with it a little bit, adjusted a few things, and then, okay, I had a, a good solid sketch to send to her. And she also liked it very much. So we just went straight from that. And it was a, a very straightforward process. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of other clients, you know, especially like Magic, you, it's pretty typical to send like two or three options um to the client and and then they'll pick uh the one they like or you'll have a little conversation about you know the options or oh maybe this part of this one can be mixed with that part of that one and it, it just uh instigates a little bit of conversation so you can you know mutually make a decision there sometimes so you you specialize in college in uh scientific illustration so what drew you to fantasy why did you choose that in science fiction oh i mean i'm a long time fan i've been reading you know sci-fi fantasy books uh probably since um i mean well before i was reading because my kid my my uh sorry my parents uh would read me like uh um narnia and stuff as a kid um one of the first proper novels that i read was probably the hobbit and I was I was reading books like the the Lord of the Rings and stuff, you know, back in like third and fourth grade. So this is like deep into my my history and myself. I'm I am a big fan of those products. Um, and then going to the bookstore and finding some art of books for some of my favorite um, sci-fi fantasy artists like Michael Whalen, uh, Keith Parkinson, um, those. You know, those were so inspirational. I was like, okay, someone is is doing these, uh, doing these book covers on the books that I am loving, and uh, I want that job. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I will say that you know, for a long time in my life, it wasn't entirely necessarily um, a straightforward choice because I was very into writing as well as art. Um, it just kind of so happened that I 
started moving more towards the art side and indulging that more. And that's just, you know, that's how it's gone. But there have been periods where it goes back and forth. Like in China, I was exploring the writing a bit more. Um, and I guess a, a little bit before I hit college, I was, uh, you know, uh, doing a bit of writing. And then even in college, uh, some of my best classes that I had were the creative writing classes. And some of the best responses I was getting from my professors were in the creative writing uh, classes and stuff. So, you know, it's been it's been back and forth uh, through that. Um, but I certainly knew that the option was there if I if I really wanted to push for it. I just had to figure out what the steps were I needed to take to get there. Do you ever think in the future you you might produce a book that you release? Oh, ab absolutely. That is that is the long term goal here uh, is to have illustrated novels, uh, my own setting, my own world building, my own stories. Uh, maybe in the form of short stories set there and then um, or, you know, might end up doing some long form. I actually um, I'm, I've got a, a Patreon project called the 12 continents. Um, that is just that project. Basically, I've, I've created a world uh, that has uh, very <laughs> vast horizons that I can explore, uh, both in terms of writing and uh, with um, with uh, paintings and I've written a fair bit not most of the writing hasn't been revealed yet because at this point I feel much more confident with the with the art side but you know the the start of that whole project um, was like 80 pages worth of uh, a, an attempt at, at writing you know a, a longer form story of some sort so that's really where I'd like the the arc of my career to to head towards over the longer term. That's awesome. Fantastic. I'd love to read that someday when and, you get it released. Right. And then, you know, and then seeing things like, I guess, as an adult, going back to things like Dinotopia, where you see um, an artist who has also, you know, written something and married the two. Like, that's a very inspirational thing. So that's, yeah, that's um, what I would like to accomplish over the longer term. <laughs> nice. So as a kid, as you're reading, like, The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, were you also, like, um, drawing as well? Like, scenes come to your mind and, like, oh, yeah, I got to draw that? Or when did you decide as a teenager, like, that you're – or even even earlier, like, oh, I can – I kind of have a talent for this. Um, I mean, I think it was it was pretty early on. My grandfather was a working illustrator, so – you know, my family has always been pretty encouraging as far as that goes. I know a lot of families aren't necessarily, um, they don't necessarily see art as a viable career. We always did. Um, so that was always on the table. And I knew that I, I loved art. Um, it was more about maps when I was younger, though. I was kind of, I was the guy sitting in class uh, drawing maps on the backs of my um math worksheets or whatever instead of listening to the teacher and like i was literally known as that guy like oh bruce is the <laughs> bruce is doing another map uh doing another fantasy world um so it was more about maps i you know i did drinks but it was definitely more about the maps at that time and so that is kind of led into the career that i'm doing in the sense that a, a map can easily turn into a landscape, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, you kind of have to get an overview of things before you can zoom in and get the landscape, yeah. that's for sure. No, I, I was the same way. Like, I, I'm not an artist at all, but in, in high school and even in college, like if I was bored, I was drawing maps for, for whatever reason. In fact, um, I talked with this with, a, with another author, but one of my favorite things to do was to – look in the front of the book to see if it had a map before I bought oh, it. Oh yeah, definitely. Very, very well visualize it. And that, and that's why so many of those books had a map because I mean, clearly it was leading to, to greater sales. And I did, I totally did the same thing. I go through the, the fantasy uh, section of, of my local library and boy, if I found a really good map in the beginning of that book, I, that was probably one that I was uh, going to, going to check out and, and um, enjoy. 
No, what? Um, so you mentioned Michael Whalen and um, mm-hmm. Keith Parkinson, I think you said. Yep. Yep. Um, who Who else has kind of inspired you? Oh, I mean, there have been so many artists, and especially since I've come back to it, like I've gotten to know a lot, a much wider range of um, of artists in my field. But I, I guess even going beyond that, like, um, you know, I was I was um, going to the art institute in Chicago with my family, like as a kid, and you know, getting a, a wide appreciation of of art. Um, an artist that I wish I had known more about back then, but I've, I've only encountered more recently is the uh, Polish artist Beksinski, uh, who does a lot of surreal landscapey kinds of, of pieces. So that's a more recent one. Um, there's an artist named, uh, a Chinese American artist named Mian Situ, that's a, a huge influence now. I just love um, the, the style of, of his painterliness um and he does landscapes he does historical uh historical pieces kind of showing the history of of the chinese american experience in like the old west um stuff like that um so that's that's a big inspiration um i've studied with some amazing artists um including donato giancola and uh, dan dos santos um some of the the online schooling stuff that I, I did when I was trying to uh, transition careers. So that's that's certainly been a, a huge influence. Um, so yeah, I mean I, I could <laughs> I could get a give a very long <laughs> line of, of artists. I'm I'm definitely standing on the shoulders of giants. No, and um, as you I'm sure you know that as you are going throughout your life, you know anything can influence you and anything can inspire you. So yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure there's, there's a lot that, you know, lots of people haven't heard of that are just amazing. Yeah. Albert Bierstadt. That's another one. One of, one of the, um, the Hudson Valley, uh, Hudson river school of, of artists. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So, so many, <laughs> very long list. <laughs> so, um, when you're working, do you prefer, um, paints or do you prefer pencil and paper or you know photoshop what do you what do you prefer when you're working uh most of the time it's photoshop um i've been working in photoshop uh, i've been using it to make art for like about 20 years now so i'm very comfortable with it it's very time efficient uh clean in the sense that there's no you know leftover toxic chemicals left around the house for my toddler to get into um so very happy with that um, for, like I was saying, for, for going to figure study, uh, I tend to do uh, either pencil or colored pencil on toned papers uh, for that. Uh, more recently for the Magic the Gathering stuff, um, I've been doing some gouache studies and some um, pencil on toned paper for that as well to try and uh, reincorporate a traditional aspect into my process Um, because well part of part of it honestly is is because there is a very strong collector community for that game so that actually encourages artists to put in the extra time because most of the time digital is the more efficient option uh, if you're given a choice between working traditionally or digitally, um, a lot of artists enjoy, including myself, enjoy working traditionally. But um, for lower-paying gigs or for gigs that you know have a very short uh, deadline, uh, traditional might be a hard option to choose. So in this, you know, in in this case, it kind of um, incentivizes artists to to get to to do some traditional work nice it is magic the gathering is a huge collect like i have a whole bookshelf over here that's full of magic the gathering (laughs) cards i love playing the game and i wish i would have had your some of your cards or i would have gotten you to sign them on um last yeah at at this point none of the cards are out yet because unfortunately infinity was supposed to be out um in april but they they it got pushed back to the fall i guess um, but in a couple of weeks, I'll, I'll have uh, Baldur's Gate cards coming out, so I'll finally get to see some physical, uh, 
physical cards in my work and um, apparently they're running a little slow on APs, but uh, the artist proofs will be coming, you know, maybe six months after the set drops, something like that. Oh, wow. So what advice could you give somebody who wants to make a career as a um, freelance artist? Um, I would say one of the big realizations I had is to um, try and orient your career around the kind of art you like to make about process uh, rather than the types of things, the types of IPs or whatever that you love to consume. Because those are two different things, like the one can influence the other. But um, as you are working with different mediums, with different styles, with different subject matters, uh, you're going to find some like, you know, I found my my, you know, otherworldly landscapes, right? Uh, you're going to find some that speak more to you. And I would say double down on that, honor that, even if there's not an, uh, an obvious connection between what you love doing and whatever product or IP you think is going to validate your art career. Because time and time again, I've seen the people who who do that, who who honor their true process interests are the ones who get ahead and make the better artwork and get noticed eventually by those IPs. Um, the ones who are um, trying to second guess themselves uh, tend to have a harder time of it and don't necessarily produce work that is as good as they could have produced. And that can that can slow down your career in a number of ways, and that can slow down your growth as a as an artist. Um, you know, in relation in relation to Magic: The Gathering, for example, uh, sometimes it feels like it it is a, it is a gravitational force that pulls a lot of artists towards it um, because it is such a popular IP, uh, because it is one of the best paying. Um, companies at least in tabletop um you know so a lot of people in that area all tend to get pulled towards it and until recently they they had a fairly narrow st uh, style range and so artists whose work didn't necessarily fall into the magic the gathering look uh would try to make their work look more <laughs> like the magic the gathering look and i feel like it has deformed more than a few um artists careers as a result or at least their their styles and and their growth as an artist in a way that wasn't necessarily healthy for them personally um, if they had been more honest about you know what what was coming natural to them um, ironically, they might have found an easier path into magic as now it has broadened its range and it's hiring people with a, you know, a variety of different styles and, you know, they would be the natural choice in their style as, a as opposed to like the thousandth choice in something closer to the, the magic, the gathering official, whatever style. Right. So there, there is an, an, important, um, an important realization there, I think. And I definitely uh, got called in because I was doing my own thing. And, you know, like I said, I think I was, you know, one of the people they had in their list under science fiction art, which, you know, most, like, I guess you could say that magic art is fantasy with, like, a little bit of a, a science fiction-y twist in it here and there, but it's not necessarily what people first think of, right? They're like, mm -hmm. ah, mad, you know, it's magic and dragons and, you know, these sorts of things. Um, so I, I think that definitely helped me get that gig. I was, you know, I was one of their higher choices as a result um, of, of doing my own thing. <laughs> Right. And we've talked about some of the bigger IPs like Orbit and, um, you know, Wizards of the Coast, but you've also done some smaller IPs and different games as well. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that could lead into that too. Like, don't be afraid to, to reach out to those smaller people as well. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, and 
uh, Numenera in particular for me was really my big breakthrough as far as my career goes. And they're kind of, I guess you could say they're, they're sort of more like a, a mid-tier tabletop company if, if you're comparing to something the size of um, Wizards of the Coast. Mm -hmm. um, but what they wanted was such a perfect match for my sensibilities and interests. You know, the personal IP stuff um, that I had been working on, the 12 Continents stuff, was basically very similar it's a you know post post-apocalyptic like this is not about the fact that there have been disasters it's about the weirdness of the world after the disasters like that basic concept uh is at the heart of both what i was already working on personally and what they were trying to develop um so when they pulled me in and they said hey we don't even need you to like illustrate something that we've already talked about, you know, in our, our stuff. We just need you to to make all new places, like places we haven't seen or even thought of before. Um, and that was just absolutely instrumental to me getting my voice out there. I was basically able to make personal art equivalent um, for their IP because the the match was so so perfect and so again probably something that put me on the radar of other companies like wizards of the coast when they needed something in that vein mm -hmm. so so for those that aspire to become a freelance art, artist um, keep your options open that's for sure right yeah start start with you like it's it's a um, a process of self-discovery and then figure out who fits with you, mm -hmm. right? And track those people down and try and, and you know, make those connections. And I think if you do it that way around, um, you'll have an easier uh, path into the industry and a more successful one. That's great advice. Thank you, Bruce. Go ahead and tell everybody um, how they can get a hold of you. And if you're going to any more conventions this year, um, let us know which ones and... and sure uh and i assume wherever you're posting this it'll have my my name written down uh so basically you can find me at uh at brucebrenizi.com uh, you can find me on uh, at patreon.com slash brucebrenizi um, i'm bruce draws on twitter and otherwise i think a number of other social media just again like my name's pretty unique so you can look me up and immediately find me there are no other Bruce Bernizes in the world. <laughs> and I've, oh, I've got a bunch of conventions. I'm going to be at uh, Lilac City Comic Con in Spokane next weekend. I'm going to be at Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle, uh, Gen Con in Indianapolis, uh, Dragon Con in Atlanta, Rose City Comic Con in Portland, uh, Salt Lake Fan X uh, in Salt Lake City and uh anything else maybe I, i'm still waiting to hear back on new york comic-con but <laughs> i've got quite a lineup <laughs> so it sounds like anybody that wants to meet you um there's a con close by there probably is yeah <laughs> in in whatever corner of the country that they're in there's, there's probably something <laughs> perfect well bruce thank you once again for taking time out of your day to to get on with me i've learned a lot and i hope other people uh i know other people will gain value for this so thank you very much oh my pleasure Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.